chapter 15. I'll get in here tonight and stop running my mouth. Well, I'll start running my mouth, but stop randomly running. I'm just kind of randomly running my mouth right now. You know that, right? It's just kind of like off the top of my head here, just sharing my heart with you. Just a blessing. Great song. Revelation chapter 15 shouldn't have any trouble, <clears throat> Lord willing, getting through this chapter tonight, uh, start to finish. But I got some couple of places we'll sort of pull over and park, and then when we get to the end, uh, I want to show you, um, actually, pretty neat, the Lord gave me a, a nice little wrap-up, I think, for you that might help you on a real practical level, uh, all the way at the end of tonight's teaching. We'll go verse by verse through this chapter. Revelation 15, 1, I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. Uh, Father, we love you tonight. We ask you to help us as we start looking at these uh, words of God, this chapter in your Bible. Lord, I pray you'd open up our eyes and give us understanding in these things. I pray you'd guide me and direct me as I uh, teach and bring to mind those things that have been laid out here. And I pray you'd uh, make your word and the teaching tonight a real blessing to your people. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear all that you would have to say to us and help us tonight, Lord. Um, this doctrine that uh, prophetically doesn't apply to us. We need some personal, practical application for our lives as well tonight. So I pray you'd help us with it. We ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so far we've had three pictures of the second coming of Christ up to this point. That was Revelation chapter 6, Revelation 11, and then again Revelation 14, verses 18 through 20, right? And uh, we went through that. You saw three different uh, pictures of the second coming. We've also seen three different pictures of the tribulation. Chapter 5, 6, and 7 dealt with the seals. Chapter 8, 9, 10, and 11 gave you trumpets. Chapter 11, 12, 13, and 14, we went through the tribulation a third time. And that was viewing it from the activities of the Antichrist during the tribulation period. We're about to start into the last time through the tribulation period. And this time is going to deal with the vials of the wrath of God. All right. So what I want you to see, by the way, a vial is a real small bottle, right? It's not a real big thing. It's a small bottle. And uh, I'm going to show you what these vials, when we get down to the end of the chapter, what I believe the vials are. And it, it might, might be pretty interesting to you. Uh, and I'm almost 100% sure on what I'm going to show you. I'm 100% sure of the practical application of it. But I'm almost 100% sure what I'm going to show you when we get down here to the end. The Lord gave me a little light bulb moment by comparing Scripture to Scripture. So let's start out first in verse number 1. It says, I saw another sign in heaven. Now, it looks like this sign, great and marvelous. See, the sign's a big deal. And what it is, John sees seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. Now, we are over halfway or somewhere around halfway through the tribulation period by the time the vials come. And the vials are the wrath of God poured out on the people that have the mark. One thing you know for sure, if you look at verse number 2, it says, And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire. That's wild. And them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. Now, I've showed you before that at the top of outer space is a sea of glass. It's ice. It's frozen water. It's the oceans that's referred to in the Bible. The seas referred to in the Bible are not always the oceans or seas on this earth. It's the waters above the firmament, above outer space. 
way out past all the planets and all the rest of that stuff, there's a sea of glass up there. And on top of that sea of glass, he sees, and, and here's the weird thing about that sea of glass, by the way, mingled with fire. That's a weird one, ain't it? How does that work? Well, I ain't sure, but I know it's supernatural. I mean, it's kind of like the lake of fire. You'd make fun of that all you want. Well, how can it be a lake and fire? But it is. It's like a volcano. It's a lake of fire. You got a sea of glass up there mingled with fire. It's water. It's frozen water. The temperature at the top of outer space is going to be absolute zero. And it's a, it's a supernatural thing. And on top of that sea of glass is them that had gotten the victory over the beast. So obviously we're not at the end of the tribulation period yet. Because he's stepping back in chapter 15 and showing us another vision. And then in chapter 16 we're going to start seeing those vials poured out that the seven angels come out with in chapter 15. We're going to see what those vials are as we go through chapter 16. So we're in the tribulation period right now. But we're over halfway through it. And what happens is these tribulation saints in verse number two, these are people that got the victory over the beast, over his image, over his mark, and over the number of his name. Where are those people? They're not on the earth anymore. So a rapture has taken place of tribulation saints, and it's not your rapture. So there's more, more than one rapture in the Bible. That's why you've got these pardon me for my rudeness, but these biblical midgets out there on YouTube trying to tell people you're going through the tribulation period. You're not going through the tribulation period. You're going to be gone before the tribulation period starts. I've been hammering the point home. I'm going to keep hammering it home. If you're going through the tribulation period, how is it that an angel from heaven flies in the midst of heaven and preaches the everlasting gospel, which is fear God and keep his commandments, when Paul told you your gospel is the gospel of the grace of God, it's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's by grace through faith, plus nothing, minus nothing, it has nothing to do with your works or keeping the commandments of God, it has nothing to do with fearing God's name and not taking the mark and all the rest of that stuff. So if those two gospels don't match, how can the church be going through the tribulation period? Because Paul said, though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached, let him be accursed. He didn't say, but though we for an angel, uh, but an angel, though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel at any time, let him be accursed. He said unto you. So you have to make a distinction between the church and Israel, between the bride of Jesus Christ and tribulation saints. They're not the same. They can't be or the Bible doesn't make sense. So that angel's flying in heaven preaching a different gospel. And these people, we're going to see this in a second, these people are now in heaven by the time you get to chapter 15. They're not on the earth anymore. And notice in verse number 1, the end of verse number 1, for in the vials, in the last plagues, which are the vials which we'll see at the end of the chapter, there's seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. God has had his bucket full. Now, turn over with me to 1 Thessalonians 5. This needs to be reiterated. And I'm going to be touching on this stuff, and I'm more than touch on it. I hit it as hard as I can. And I'm going to keep hitting on it. And I'm going to hit on this stuff, too, about, about Israel, because there's a line of thinking out there, and some of these guys are pretty prominent on the Internet. And I'm not telling you that to get you to look them up. I'm telling you that because their influence is already out there, and some people listen to them on all these YouTube pages. Listen. One of these guys in particular got his claim to fame and got his big, uh, his big boost on YouTube by resisting arrest. He's a preacher. 
and he's coming back over the border, and the, the border agents, uh, the, if the story is right, something along the lines of, they told him to roll down his window, and you know, he's a sovereign citizen, and they're violating his rights, so he wouldn't roll down his window. What do you think they're going to do? Their job is to keep this country safe. So they shatter his window and drag him out and slam him down on the ground because he's screaming and yelling and resisting arrest, and the guy made it onto the national news. A Baptist preacher, King James Bible. You know what he is? He's a maverick. He's a rebel. He's a punk is what he is. Yeah, I'm a sovereign citizen. You're violating my rights. You know, separation of church and state and all this kind of stupid stuff. He got his claim to fame that way, and then he got himself blasted all over the Internet and all over the news, and he, caught, he rode that wave because he got the news media in it, and he rode that wave of popularity and then continued making it back on the news by going to gay pride parades and all the rest of this stuff and constantly being, having huge debates and huge screaming matches with lost people and homosexual people and everything else and, and just kept himself on the news, starts a YouTube ministry, and his ministry took off based off of his promotion his recognition nationally, <clears throat> the way he's, he's crept into people all over this country and churches all over this country. We've had more than once his people come visit here. And the way he got his promotion was not by the Holy Spirit of God. Slowly but surely, little is much when God's in it. Little is much when God's in it. One week after the time, and then God says, All right, this man is gifted for this job, and I've got more for him since he's been faithful in that which is least. I'm going to give him a little more, and I'm going to give him a little more, and I'm going to give him a little more. No, some jerk in his 20s or 30s or 40s or whatever it is thinks he's the pastor of pastors all over the country when he ain't been around long enough to be a pastor of pastors. You earn that with years and experience and pastoring. And then not every pastor that's pastored for years is a pastor of pastors. That's something God does. He shouldn't have influence in everybody's church all over the country. But instead, his, his people come in here and want to kind of, you know, well, we're, we're for you because you're King James Bible. We're looking for a King James Bible-believing church. You're a King James Bible-believing church. Oh, preacher, they're King James Bible. Okay, great. Praise the Lord. But, but they're all about this. We're going through the tribulation stuff, marching to Zion. The church has replaced Israel from some maverick, from some rebel who won't submit to anybody's authority but his own. And so goes into his Bible and begins to rewrite the Bible and rewrite doctrine and re-preach it all. And then attacks people that say there's more than one gospel and tries to make it out to be heresy rather than consistency with what the scriptures say. And that stuff's got influence in churches. It's splitting churches all over the place. And just, just more rebellion. I want you to understand, I'm serious about this. The church has not replaced Israel. I'm going to show you some verses tonight that they used to say that it has. And as we go through Romans, it's amazing how this ties in with where we're at in Revelation. I'm going to show you when we get through Romans, the church has not replaced Israel. There's the Jew, the Gentile, and the church of God. You have to know that to rightly divide the Bible. In the church of God, you're not a Jew or a Gentile. Once you get saved, you're the body and the bride of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what your race is. Period. The end of the discussion. And no, we're not hypersensitive about race around here, one way or the other, because it doesn't matter. <laughs> Are you born again and do you love Jesus Christ? That's all that matters. And by the way, we're all a bunch of Heinz 57s anyhow. So who cares, man? But I will tell you this, if there's any superior race from a spiritual standpoint, it's the Jews, like it or not. I don't care. I'm not a Jew. I ain't got an ounce of Jew blood in my body. Not that I know of. But spiritually speaking, that's still God's chosen people. 
and he's going to go back and get her. And that's the bride of God the Father who he put off. He divorced her. So there you go for a divorced preacher can't be a pastor. He divorced her. God's divorced. I feel so bad because I'm divorced. <laughs> she was unfaithful to him and he put her away. You know what putting away means in the Old Testament? It's brilliant. It's brilliant how some of these preachers are just brilliant in the Bible, you know. It just drives me nuts. drives me bonkers. They get people all messed up by not studying their Bible. Should a divorced preacher be in the pulpit? First of all, was he divorced before he was saved or after? If that happened before a guy was saved, why do we even talk about it? Well, was it a scriptural divorce or not? Hey, Yahoo and mixed company, I won't say everything I have to say, but come on, man. You ain't got a brain in your head if you believe that. Guys are in the pulpits preaching that stuff. I'm not harping on people that heard it and felt right to them and they believed it. I'm just saying you better be careful before you start kicking somebody around because they had a divorce, lest uh, something like that could visit your house. You know what I'm trying to say. Don't be too self-righteous. So God put her away. Guess what he's going to do? He's going to bring her back. The promises to Israel aren't gone. So you have to understand the difference, and you're the church of God. If you're born again today, you are the church of God. You're the bride of Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Look at verse 8. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. Now you know we've gone through it before, so I'm not going to take the time to nail it down tonight, but you know that hope is not a... Fingers crossed, I hope it's going to happen. That's like, uh, you guys, how many kids realize it's December? What is it, the second? December 2nd? 3rd? 2nd? 3rd? 3rd. Is it 2nd? 2nd. Do I have a 3rd? 3rd. Is there a 4th? Anybody got a 4th? I don't know what day it is. It's either the 2nd or the 3rd. All right. It's the 3rd? Overwhelming vote. I thought it was the 2nd. I guess it's the 3rd. Either way, I'm just trying to say, kids realize Christmas is on the 25th. I hope it's going to be Christmas. No, you know it's going to be Christmas. You just hope it gets here quick. Right? It's an expectant looking forward to. It's not a, I hope that's a reality. It's I know it's a reality. And I just, it's just never going to get here. The hope of salvation. That's the hope that we have, which is an anchor for our soul. It's not a fingers crossed, unstable thing. For God hath not appointed us to what? But to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. He has, he has appointed us, to, not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation. That's an appointment. It's not a, I hope I'm going to get salvation. It's an appointment that you're going to attain this. Now, he's not appointed us to... The whole subject of 1 Thessalonians 5, times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. It's the second coming. You're not appointed to the wrath of God. Back in Revelation chapter 15, you know what's getting, getting dumped out on the earth? The wrath of God. You're not here. Just so you know, you're already gone. You're already in the third heaven with God, and you're coming back with Him. You know what the artillery of the second coming is? Arrows. You will read those Old Testament passages, it's arrows. 
the sword comes out of the mouth of Jesus Christ, and that's the nuclear bomb that devastates the whole thing and does the job. But I'm just wondering if you and I are sitting on them horses launching some arrows ahead of the coming. I mean, it's just, I'm just saying we're going to be in a fight. I'm not making that come kind of a big doctrinal statement, but it's the artillery of the second coming, according to Dr. Ruckman's notes. That's just going to be cool, is all I'm telling you. It's going to be exciting. We're coming back with him. The tribulation saints are up there in heaven watching it. All right, look at verse 2. He says in verse number 2, And I saw, as it were, the sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that sat, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast, over his name, they're standing on the sea of glass. See that at the end of the verse? Having the harps of God. So obviously, if you went up to the bottom of the, t the top of outer space, you'd be at the bottom of the sea of glass, and above that's the throne of God in the third heaven. Let me show you. Go over to Job, if you would, real quick. Go to Job chapter 38. <clears throat> Job chapter number 38. Look at verse 30. Job 38, 30, it says, The waters are hid as with a stone, and the face of the deep is frozen. Oh, that's Alaska. Okay, well, wait a minute. Look at verse 31. Canst thou bind the sweet influences of Pleiades? Or loose the bands of Orion? Canst thou bring forth Maseroth in his season? Or canst thou guard Arcturus with his sons? Knowest thou the ordinances of heaven? Canst thou set the dominion of, thereof in the earth? Canst thou lift up thy voice uh, to the clouds? The abundance of waters may cover thee. Folks, that ain't, no, that ain't the waters on the earth. That frozen water in Job 38, 30. That's, a, that's out there past outer space in the context. That's what you're looking at in, Joe, in Revelation chapter 15, verse 1. What a wild thing, man. Can you imagine? The tribulation saints are caught up, and they're standing on that sea back in Revelation chapter 15. That's all I wanted you to see in Job 38, back in Revelation chapter 15. Now look at verse number 3. And they sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. They're singing one song in two. Folks, that's faith and works. What's the song of Moses? That's the law. If you want to read it later, we're not going to go there right now for time, because I got for the sake of time, because I got some other passages I want to take you to, but jot down there or write in the margin of your Bible or something. Deuteronomy chapter 32 is the song of Moses. They're singing the song of Moses and of the Lamb. That's Old Testament law and faith in Jesus Christ. That's not your plan of salvation. That's not the song you're singing. That's tribulation saints who did not receive the mark, did not worship the beast, did not all that stuff that it's told you back in verse number two. You see how simple that is? When you just believe the Bible as it is and you just study what it says? That ain't rocket science. You know exactly who those people are. And it says, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty, just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Verse 4, who shall, fear, who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy. For all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. Now hang on. He calls him the king of saints in verse 3. And then in verse 4 it says, who shall not fear thee? Well, I don't know. Have you looked around the earth right now? 
The vast majority don't fear him. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Have you looked around the earth right now? O Lord, and glorify thy name. The vast majority don't glorify his name. The vast majority of saved people don't glorify him like they should. You know what? Little kids are taking God's name in vain because they hear mom and dad say, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, every time anything happens. And little kids think nothing of saying, oh my God. It just, just, just breaks my heart. It doesn't even make me mad. I hear a little three or four-year-old saying, oh my God. It just breaks my heart. You know, you don't have to say, take Jesus Christ's name in vain to say, oh my God. You ought to be careful about that stuff. What God are you talking about? There's only one God. You, you ought to watch that stuff. I'm, I'm against it. I don't like it. I think it's wrong. You're not, not supposed to take the name of the Lord your God in vain. He ain't a cuss word. They don't glorify the Lord. They curse him. I expect that out of lost people. It says, who shall not? For thou only art holy. For all nations shall come and worship before thee. For thy judgments are made manifest. All nations. <clears throat> Is that happening right now? <laughs> no, that ain't happening right now. It's going to happen in the future. All nations are going to come and worship him. All men are going to fear him. All men are going to glorify him. And all nations will come and worship before him. Because his judgments are going to be made manifest. They're going to know who God is. They're going to know who the boss is. They're going to know who's running the show. He's going to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You know right now in the New Testament, Jesus Christ is not referred to as the King of the church. Let's see. Now unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. There's, there's a verse. Um, you've been translated from the power of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son. There's another reference. Nowhere in Paul's gospel, Paul's epistles, is Jesus Christ called the king of the church? You're not in a kingdom right now. The only kingdom you have is the kingdom of God, which is defined, hear me, which is defined as righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. It's a spiritual kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is a literal, visible kingdom. When heaven comes down to earth, and Jesus Christ rules and reigns on this planet in Jerusalem for a thousand years. That's coming in the future. You're reading it here in Revelation 15 when he's coming back. You're not, you're not living in that. What drives me nuts is the way preachers nowadays talk about the kingdom of God and advancing the kingdom and we're working for his kingdom and all that stuff. Folks, you ain't working for his kingdom. This ain't his kingdom. His kingdom's coming, but it ain't here now. You're not advancing the kingdom. <laughs> We're a church, man. If it was a kingdom, the passages that apply to the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and violence taken by force. If it's a reference to the kingdom, then we can rule and reign with a rod of iron. Hey, listen, when you're following a king, you fight for that king. You don't put up with traitors in the kingdom. You fight. You know, you're not ever told anywhere you're supposed to spread the gospel in the name of Jesus Christ at the point of a sword. That's not what you're about. Go to Zechariah chapter 14. Zechariah chapter 14. I want you to see what's going on in Revelation 15 and some of these Old Testament passages pointed out. The Bible's an amazing book. You read through some of these prophets, man, they're prophesying of the coming of Jesus Christ, the second coming. 
That's a powerful thing, man. And it's all through that Old Testament. It's a major theme of the Bible. And that's what people don't understand as they're reading their Bible. They're going through this stuff and these, again, these you know, pastor theologians who are biblical midgets that spent all their time studying the originals and not enough time studying the Bible they got in front of them are trying to tell you that all the Bible is about salvation today and all the way and it's all about you and you've replaced Israel and the rest of this stuff. That stuff ain't true, man. That Bible, all the way through that thing, it's about a king and his kingdom. That's the main theme of the Bible. It ain't all about you. You know what you are as a church? You're an afterthought. How's that make you feel? You're an afterthought. He came unto his own and his own received him not. He came to the Jews and they said no. That's what he meant when that woman, the Gentile woman came to him and asked for some help. And he said, it's not meat to take the children's bread and give it to dogs. You know what he called her? <laughs> a Gentile dog. That's a racist comment, ain't it? He said, I came unto my own, not helping you. She said, yea, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And he said, man, with faith like that lady, my goodness, she's got the right heart. You know, all the way through the Old Testament, Gentiles could get in under the Jewish God if they'd submit to the Jewish law. They're called the stranger, as you read through. And all the way through the law, God told Israel what to do with the stranger. Anybody could see they got the right God and come get in under it. You got to understand those differences. It's all the way through that Old Testament. It's about the king coming. It ain't about you and me. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 4. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And on the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. As the second coming of Jesus Christ, when he comes and sets down, he splits that mountain by putting his feet down on it. Go to Malachi chapter 4. You're in Zechariah, go over to Malachi chapter 4, look at verse 1. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be as stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall not leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall grow forth and grow up as the calves of the stall. Ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the, in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. And behold, I will send Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to their children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. And there ends the Old Testament in a, in a Gentile Bible. You know how the Jewish Old Testament ends? It ends with Second Chronicles which is a commandment at the end of the Jewish Old Testament. They reject the Bible you got, the order of it and everything. They got their Jewish Old Testament, and in their Jewish Old Testament, rejecting the New Testament, it ends with a command to go back up. Now, we saw it this morning in Psalm 107.3, uh, I think it is, verse 3, how it said he gathered his people that had been scattered. Ain't God amazing? While he's working in the Gentile world, while he's spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, while he's building the church, right now he's building the church, he's also working on Israel to get her ready. And he's assembling her, getting her back over there in the land. 
And all that's going on over there is not coincidental, I'm telling you right now. And what you're seeing around this globe, and shockingly in this country, brainwashed, over-emotional, under-educated, slash over-educated, foolish people rising up against Israel, whether you like her or not. She's a very heathen nation right now. You do know that, right? The vast majority of Israel isn't even like into the Old Testament law and all the rest of that stuff. The vast, vast majority of Israel is completely secular, atheistic, just anti-God. Some of the most wicked places on the earth as far as uh, uh, filthy, abominable sin, sins of the flesh, exist in Israel. Just so you know. But God's made a promise to that nation. And he's working on her. And it's his chosen people. And he said, I'll bless him and bless thee and I'll curse him and curse thee. Period. I wouldn't mess with Israel. But you see this country and the future, I mean the future of this country, it's shot. You give it 10 more years with these college kids that are out there right now doing all kinds of stupid protesting against Israel. Boy, the atrocities that Hamas committed. I cannot understand how that's overlooked. And the fact that Israel warns them and tells them to get out of there because we're coming. I, I, I would get it if they didn't even warn them. You cannot let that go. You can't let somebody like that be living right next door to you. The, the stuff they were doing to the women and children is, is despicable beyond what I can say in public. The vileness of those men. The wicked, mean, nasty, ungodly, sodomistic cruelty was unbelievable. And yet the whole world's against Israel. There's more going on there, folks, than politics. I'm telling you right now. And God ain't done. His bucket's getting full. He's getting sick of the sin. He's getting sick of the wickedness. But he ain't done with us yet because if he was, we'd be raptured out. Because we can't be here during this time. Have I made that point to you? Have I mentioned that to you? Did you Have you got the point yet? Is it making any sense at all to you? There's a different system going on. It doesn't match your system. So that's one of the best proofs you got that you're gone. All right, look at another passage in the Old Testament. Go to Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2, look at verse 1. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. That's concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It's not concerning the church. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains. And shall be exalted above the hills. It shall come to pass when? Oh. That the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established. It's not. That hasn't happened yet. And shall be exalted above the hills. And all nations shall flow into it. That's a prophecy. That's a promise of God. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of the God of the church, right? The God of the Gentiles. It's the God of Jacob. And he shall teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law. You see the laws back into effect? And the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among the nations. And shall rebuke many people. 
and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, that's the Jews, come ye and let us walk in the light of the Lord. That hasn't happened. That has not happened. The temple's not restored over there. They're not worshiping God there. Nations aren't flowing into that place and seeing God being taught. Nobody's beating their plows into, 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 into uh, their, their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. You better not. What they're doing right now is trying to get ahead of everybody else in the race to get the most sophisticated and advanced weapons there is. They're working on AI getting to another level. Some weird stuff's some weird some weird stuff is happening, folks. There's some strange things going on. There's some spirit moving in the world that ain't the spirit of God. I'm trying to tell you that right now, Jesus Christ is not the king seated in Jerusalem. That's not where he's at. Right now, he's the head of the church. I got more passages to show you on that, but I want to move forward to show you what he is right now. Uh, Go over to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. None of this stuff that I'm showing you tonight happened at the first advent, right? Like all nations flew into Israel during the first advent when Jesus Christ came the first time. (laughs) You guys, this stuff about the church replacing Israel and all that stuff having to do with the church and all that, what are they talking about? It hasn't taken place yet. Ephesians chapter 5, look at verse 23. Here's what Christ is right now. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. He's the Savior of the body. He's not the king sitting in Jerusalem. Let me show you something else about where Christ is or who Christ is. Look at Colossians chapter 1. Right now, what his role is right now is what we're talking about. Colossians chapter 1, look at verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. You know what he is right now? He's the head of the body. So they go around talking about the king, King Jesus, the king, the king, the king. They're misapplying passages, building the kingdom. We're not building the kingdom. He's the head of the body. He's the boss, if you're saved. He's the one we're submitted to, if you're saved. And guess what that might mean? That might mean that you wind up dying for his cause. Is that all right? He said, occupy till I come. You know what you are right now? You're sitting in enemy territory. How does that make you feel? You're outgunned and outnumbered. From the looks of it. From the looks of it. But greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. I mean, if we're the last of the Mohicans, right? If we're it. If we're digging down and digging in and we're waiting for him to come, is it okay if you die? Before you see the results of what it means to serve the Lord. Because thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands before you have died. Because they're occupying enemy territory. And it doesn't make the Lord any less powerful. And it doesn't make Jesus any less less loving and any less wonderful. That he allowed some of his people to be martyred for their faith. 
If he was the king in Jerusalem, you're ruling with the rod of iron. You're ruling with him, and you're passing judgment, and you're putting down everybody else. And if the second advent already happened, there are ashes under your feet. Well, not right now. Right now, you get burned at the stake. You become ashes. They mock you and criticize you and break you down. You could, I, I'd be willing to bet you this. I'd be willing to bet you there's at least one person in this room and maybe more than that who's going to wind up losing your job in the next 10 or 20 years if the Lord tarries because you won't put up the little homo flag on your, on your cubicle or on your uniform or on your hat. And I sure hope you wouldn't. I don't care if you're working at Starbucks as a barista. If I'm your pastor and I walk in and you got a little faggot thing on your lapel, we're talking, man. Seriously. I hope as a Christian you'd be willing to lose your job over that. Just saying what it's going to, you know, just, just saying. You got to understand where you're at in God's time frame and who the Lord is. They crucified your Lord. Do you realize that? They stripped him naked. They beat him. They smote him. They spit on him. They ripped out his beard. They nailed his hands to the cross. They nailed his feet to the cross. They drove a crown of thorns down on his head and they plunged a spear in his side. So he could be your head and you could be his body. What a privilege. Colossians chapter 3. I'm sorry, 2. Colossians 2, 19. It says, And not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands having nourishment ministered and knit together increaseth with the increase of God. You know what you are? You're the body and you're supposed to hold on to the head. From which all the body by joints and bands having nourishment ministered and knit together increases with the increase of God. You know what I'm trying to do tonight? You know what I tried to do this morning? You know what I'm planning on trying to do Wednesday night? You know what I'm going to try to do next Sunday, next Sunday night? Just, just minister. Just nourish. Just a little more Bible, a little more doctrine, a little more application, a little more Bible, a little more doctrine, a little more application, a little more Bible, a little more doctrine, a little as much when God is in it. And faithfully do that so that the body can grow, so that you can grow, so you can get your help, so your kids can get what they need and hopefully help them make some good decisions and turn out for God so God can do something with just a little bit every week. There ain't no bunch of pressure around here. There ain't no rush around here. We're waiting. We're waiting on the Lord. And while we're waiting on the Lord, we're doing what we're told and being faithful to do what we're told. And I want to just help you. Why? Because our head, we're holding on to the head. That's what I said this morning. He gets the preeminence, not you, not me, not anybody or anything else. He gets the preeminence. Why? Because that'll grow you. All right, go back with me. Uh, look, you know what? Look at verse 18 real quick. I got to stick this in there. It says, no, let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility. That's that fake spirituality. And worshiping what? I get a lot of questions about angels. The answer is, who cares? Angels are ministering spirits, and could we see angels unawares? And uh, maybe the angel cut me off in the car, and I think that sometimes. When this idiot won't get out of the way, and they're doing 25 and a 45, and it's just like, and then every time I go to pass, there's a car coming, and I just, ah! And then I stop and say, you know what? That might be somebody sent from God to keep me from getting killed. I do think that is totally possible. But listen, who cares? Be careful about getting into the whole angelology stuff. It's very, very dangerous for you. In the tribulation period, <clears throat> they're flying in heaven preaching. In the tribulation period, he's going to see them step out of the temple and pour out the vials. 
But for you, you're told not to worry about angels. So you get around a church or a denomination or a preacher that's always talking about angels, get away from them. Why? You don't need angels. Look at verse 18. It says, The worshiping of angels intruding into those things which he hath not seen. In context of angels. So if they're out there, you probably ain't seen them. An angel appeared to me. Probably as a demon. What would I think if an angel appeared to me tonight? I would think a devil showed up. That's what I would think. Intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head. Do you see why you don't need an angel? What do you need an angel for when you got the Spirit of God living in you? I mean, it, it can't get any better than that. You got Christ in you, the hope of glory, and you need an angel? You're sealed into the day of redemption. You got the very words of God, and you need an angel. If he has angels doing stuff, thank God for it and praise the Lord for it and all the rest of that. A host of angels and camp around about them that fear him. I sure hope so. I pray it. Lay down at night. Lord, keep us safe tonight. However you do that. It don't matter to me if you got a host of angels just surrounding this house with fiery red chariots in the front lawn all the way around it and over above us and all the rest of that. Hallelujah. I don't care how you do it, Lord. Or if you just by your spirit, when somebody's coming to rob my house, just knock them dead. I mean, just has a stinking heart attack. I never knew it happened. Gets into a car wreck, gets T-boned on the way here, and it's all over. However you do it, God, I don't care. Because I'm holding on to Jesus Christ. I'm sorry, I just had to stick that in there. All right, let's get back on track. Now, look at where he is right now. Go to Hebrews chapter 1, where Jesus Christ is right now. Hebrews chapter 1. Look at uh, verse 13. But to which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? He didn't. You know who he said it to? He said it to Jesus Christ. You know where Jesus is right now? He rose and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God on high. And God tells him, God says, sit down, son, until I make those guys that crucified you, those guys that cussed you, those guys that want nothing to do with you, those guys that drove you out of your home country and away from your people and I'm tearing your people up and all the rest of it. Just sit down until I go take care of it. I'm going to make them all your footstool when I'm ready. Father had put in his own power, right? What Jesus said. So he understood that God had a plan. Look at, uh, look at Hebrews uh, chapter, um, uh, we just read 8, um, eight one. No, we just read one thirteen eight one. Now of these things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. A minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. So there's a true tabernacle in heaven. There's a temple in heaven that God built and man didn't build. And right now Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. That's where he's at right now. He's not the king on this earth. 
the Lord's going to make him the king. But right now he's seated at the right hand of the throne and he ever liveth to wait, make intercession. There's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. He's the mediator. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. That's what he's doing now. We're talking about what he's doing now, right? So that you get your bearings when you read your Bible and understand where you're at with the doctrine. Hebrews chapter 12, look at verse 2. Looking unto eat Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, that's what you got in front of you, by the way, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's where Jesus Christ is at right now. Now go back to Revelation chapter 15, and, and I want to give you these verses for you to jot down, because I want to get to something else here and I'll be done in just a couple of minutes if I can. So, jot down these verses in reference to you. Christ is coming back to rule and reign on this planet. Romans 8, 17. Romans chapter 8, verse 17. Galatians 3, 29. 2 Timothy 2, 12. So, Romans 8, 17. Galatians 3, 29. And 2 Timothy 2, 12. Those verses show you, I'll say them again in just a minute. Those verses show you that you're going to rule and reign with him. So when he comes back to reign, you have an opportunity right now in this lifetime. In this lifetime, you have an opportunity to earn the chance to rule and reign with Christ. Are you with me? Your works now in the church age... Determine whether or not you get denied that reign or you get to reign. Either way, you're there and you're coming back with him. But if you're faithful in that which is least, which is this lifetime, then you'll be faithful also in much, which is the millennium. So this short little life where we struggle to do faithful little things like read our Bible, pray, like say no to sin like we talked about on Wednesday night, die to self, yield to the Spirit, crucify the flesh, all this little stuff. Little is much when God's in it. All this little stuff, being faithful to get to church even if you don't feel like it. Little stuff. God, I'm wrong and you're right. I'm sorry. Please help me. Little stuff. Faithfulness in little things. Nothing big and grandiose. Nothing extra special. Little stuff. Pays off huge dividends in the millennium. And when he comes back to rule and reign, we're going to be set up in his government. He's the boss, the king in Jerusalem David's his prince in Jerusalem. We get to rule and reign around the planet for a thousand years while people are multiplying. People that came through the tribulation period and go off into the millennium are still getting married and having babies and all that stuff. Not you. You're as the angels of heaven. You don't marry or are given in marriage. Not you. But people that make it through that will go into the millennium multiplying. You're ruling and reign over them. They'll beat, beat the piles into, 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 into swords into uh, uh, pruning shares and the whatever. Yeah, that one. You guys know the verse. Can't say it tonight. Because we'll institute peace. And we'll rule. We'll judge. And the lion will lay down with the lamb. I'm already knowing it. I already am sure of it. I'm sure I'm going to have a lion pride. They're going to be my pets. That's going to be a cool day, man. And I'll have a pack of wolves, too. And I ain't taking the serpents. Somebody else has to take them, but I, I want some lions. I really want some pet lions in the millennium. I'm hoping so. 
say, that's stupid. I don't care if you think it's stupid. I'm 100% serious. I really look forward to hopefully having some pet lions in the morning. Whatever. It's going to be great. The verses, Romans 8, 17, Galatians 3, 29, 2 Timothy 2, 12, show you you have a chance right now to suffer and reign with him. All right? Now, you, hopefully you're back in Revelation chapter 15. All right, his judgments become made manifest. It showed us that in verse 4. In verse 5, after this I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. Remember the last passage I read to you in Hebrews? There's a temple in heaven. When, when God gave Moses the pattern for the tabernacle on this earth, he gave it to him and he said, here's specifically how I want everything laid out and here's where I want everything positioned. Remember that? You know why? That's a picture of what's up there. Oh, it's silly. I mean, we don't have to put the brazen altar there. We can put it over here. It'll look better over here. You know, men that always think they know more than God. In other words, this word doesn't have to be here in the Bible. You could actually translate this another way and it would be fine. And well, if you change this, it still means the same thing. And idiots don't know what they're doing. That thing came down from heaven. This thing right here. It came down from heaven. You understand that? Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. It came down from eternity. I wouldn't mess with it, man. I mean, I wouldn't mess with it. I wouldn't do it. I just wouldn't do it. God help me. I wouldn't do it. I'm going to answer to Jesus Christ someday. And boy, that scares the fire out of me to think about undermining people's faith in that book. I don't care if I never have a mega church. I feel like I'd rather have some really, really pure gold and silver and precious stones at that judgment. And God say, man, you weren't much, buddy, but you sure were faithful to me and to that book. And you love that Bible. And you taught them to love that Bible. And you respected my words. And I'm, good job. That'd be a whole lot better to me than this massive pile of wood, hay, and stubble. Oh, look, God, we had 5,000 people in church. Yeah, but you undermine all their faith in the Bible. That's a scary thing, man. God told him to lay that thing out a specific way, and he didn't know why. He just was told to do what he was told to do, and you do what you're told because you're told to do it. And it's a picture of something that's in heaven. God has a tabernacle up there. as a temple up there, and he opens that thing up. The temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. Now watch in verse 6. And the seven angels came out of the temple, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure and white linen, and having their breasts girded with golden girdles. What a sight, man. Can you imagine that? My goodness. Look at verse 7. And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials, full of the wrath of God, who liveth forever and ever. And the temple was filled with the smoke, with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. All right, so you got the scene now. We're up in heaven. <clears throat> A sign appears in the heavens. He sees all those people that died for the name of Jesus Christ in the tribulation period that refused to take the mark. And they're up in heaven now. They're not on earth. And the, tap, the, tap, the temple of the tabernacle of heaven's opened up and seven angels step out. And one of the beasts walks up and hands them all seven vials. And he says, all right, go pour those out on the earth. And in Revelation chapter 16, you're going to start seeing those vials dumped on the earth. What those vials are full of, a vial's a small bottle. Remember what I said? Those vials are full, 
full of the wrath, the unadulterated, unmixed, undiluted, 100% pure wrath of Almighty God. He's fed up. Now watch this. This is cool. Go to Revelation chapter 5. Here's what I think is happening. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials. I looked up the word vials to see where it appeared, so we figure out those vials. Here it is, full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. Hang on a minute. Smoke comes and the vials are handed and beginning to be poured out. Your prayers are referred to as an incense in the nostrils of God, the altar of incense. Over here in Revelation 5, it talks about those vials, which are the prayers of the saints. How many of you have a prayer life? Okay, don't raise your hand because some people are like, (gasps) how many of you ever prayed and felt like it's going nowhere because you don't get your prayers answered? But you pray anyways. You know what those prayers do? Those prayers reach the throne of God. And they smell good to God. And the Lord says, well, my will is, tribulation saints, for them to go ahead and cut your head off. Be faithful unto the end. Endure to the end. Because I got so much for you. It's going to be worth it. Just hang in there. I bet you those vials have prayers from the church age in them. Because the spirit of Antichrist is ruling this thing already, ain't he? Yeah. I've been willing to bet you God's piling up those prayers. He said he kept all my tears in a bottle. Yeah. Not one tear that you've shed. Not one tear that one person in this room has ever shed that God didn't know about. And right now he's being long-suffering and he's being merciful and he's waiting because he's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. Folks, God has a bigger picture than what we have. But nothing gets by God. I'm telling you, nothing gets by him for good or bad. And the day comes when God says, all right, it's time. And those angels step out there and they get that beast hands them a vial. And I bet you anything, those are all the prayers of the saints that have been poured out to God as they struggle against sin, against the world, against the flesh, and don't get anything back for it but actually wind up persecuted and made fun of and things don't go their way and their heads get cut off and their hands get cut off because they won't bow to the image of the beast and they lose their job because they wouldn't wear the little emblem that they're told to wear and they suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. They don't take the promotion because it would require a transfer and get them out of a Bible-believing church or they don't take the promotion because they would have to start missing church services and they want to raise their kids in church and all those things, all those unfairnesses in this world that's stacked against you. You know what it's doing? It's filling up God's bucket because he does care because you're his bride and he does care about his saints in the tribulation period and what happens to them. Even though he allows it to go on for a period of time, the day comes when God brings the wrath down and the whole world is knocked off course 
and the blood of the people that resisted him rises up to the horse's bridle and runs for, what was it, 160 to 190 miles? And you're dipping your feet in their blood. And it says in the other passages, you're stomping on their ashes. When God says, I've had it, fairness, it's time for fairness to show up. You know, we tell our kids on a regular basis as early as we can and as often as we can. Life ain't fair. You know why? Because we want them to understand something. No, things aren't fair. And sometimes, I'm sorry, that's just flat wrong. You got done wrong. All right, now go on. Go on. Why? Because God knows all about it. Just do right. Don't get bitter about it. Don't hold that thing up and pen it up inside of you and keep it to yourself and keep burning it into your soul and burning it into your soul. You know how many people wind up out of church? Young people, listen to me. The devil will make sure that you get bitter about something. So he can get you out of church in the next five to ten years out and once you're gone out. You'll get offended in church. You'll get hurt in church. Even preachers will do stuff to you that ain't fair. Churches will treat you wrong. Youth pastors will treat you wrong. You'll get misjudged. You'll get called out when you didn't deserve it. Listen to me. Get, I'm not being mean right now. I promise you, okay? Because I talk straight to get your attention. Get over it. Because your bitterness is not going to serve you justice. And it will not right any of the wrongs that have happened. Your bitterness will only destroy you. Now let me show you how to get over it. Now that I just said something mean and hurtful. I can't believe you said get over it. (laughs) Well, get over the fact that I said get over it. I'm trying to help you. I mean that. I'm trying to help you. Here's what you do with it. We talked about it this morning. You know what the Word of God does? It's supposed to bring healing. It's supposed to bring help. Get in the Bible. Are you in a church now where the pastor's not perfect, but he does love you? You were supposed to all be like, yes, amen, woo, praise the Lord. Okay, so get over it. Why? One of the ways to get over it is take it to God. Get on your knees when you go home tonight and tell God all about it. I'm dead serious. I'm not kidding. I'll say it wrong. Well, God's greater than our hearts and knows all things, doesn't he? He knows what you're trying to say. And maybe if you say it wrong when it's coming out of your mouth, you'll be like, wow, God, I'm really stupid, aren't I? And you'll start getting right with the Lord at the same time. It's a great thing. <laughs> but even if you've been done wrong, take your pain and your bitterness and give it to God, and he'll put it in that little vial. And the day will come when he will bring justice, and he'll right it all. That's how much he cares. Isn't that wild? Now watch this, and we're done. Go to Revelation, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 12. We're done for tonight. We'll pick it up in the next chapter next week. Romans chapter 12. I'm, just, I'm trying to point out to you in that thing the power of prayer. The power of God seeing injustice and hearing the prayers of his people. I'm almost positive, and I wouldn't fight with you about it. I'm almost positive those vials that are getting poured out are those prayers from Revelation chapter 5. And here's why I'm, posit- I'm almost positive of it. You're in Romans chapter 12, right? Look at verse 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. Well, they did me wrong. You're not nice to me. Okay, well, yeah, you're told to go jump on them about something stupid like that, right? 
No, you're told to avenge not yourself, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. You know what you're seeing in Revelation 15? You're seeing God right the wrongs. You're seeing God pay him back for the way they treated his bride and for the way they treated his son and for the way they treated his tribulation saints. And he's had it. And guess what God will do? God will pay him back. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, it's what you're supposed to be about as a church. With, with your head as Christ. Your example, your leader, a shepherd. The meek and mild Jesus who's coming back as a king one day but in the meanwhile he ain't swinging the sword. The only sword he's using is right here. If that enemy hunger feed him Jesus fed Judas. He knew exactly what he was going to do. If he thirst give him drink. For in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil but overcome evil with good. When you get bitter and when you get back at them, you got overcome by them. That's how they win. They treated me wrong. Yeah, and now you're a bitter, nasty person and you're acting just like the people that mistreated you. You know how many people get abused as a kid and grow up to abuse their kids? Because you're a bitter, nasty person. Instead, as a Christian, you're supposed to do good to people that despitefully use you and let God be the one to bring the judgment because I am telling you folks, the day is coming when he will. And when he does it, he'll do it right. In the meanwhile, overcome evil with good. And you know what happens? You know what happens to you and me when we do that? We're happy. <laughs> We're ha we don't give those other people the rights to control our emotions and our mind and our heart and our future. I hope that's helpful to you tonight. Let's go ahead and dismiss in a word of prayer.